Well, hello everybody, this is Tim Green, and welcome to Rattlecast number 154. So glad you could join me. Today's guest is Raquel Franco. She'll be here in just a little bit, but before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been continuous publications since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button, share, subscribe. Anything you can do to help poetry spread around the internet is all I ask. That's the only admission price. And um, if you don't have an account and can't, you don't have to. But if you can, click something. I'll leave a review, especially on like iTunes or uh, Spotify or whatever. That would be very helpful as well if you're listening later. Um, and um, you just help us out that way. Now, uh, we always like to start with the Poets Respond poems. And uh, Bob Hickok said he might be able to make it if he got home in time. Uh, but he's not here yet. And Alejandro Escudet is also rushing home from work. So this is the downside of having the 5 o'clock start for the West Coast. Um, so Alex texted me and said he might be a little late. We'll try to stall to get him on live. He's tomorrow's uh, Poet Respond poet. Um, but for now, I'm going to um, let's take a look at this uh, poem by Bob Hickok. And it's just a, a wonderful poem that was that people just loved spreading it around the Internet. Um, lots of likes and shares. I think it's the, the most popular poem in about a month, I would say. Um, and it's based on this article. It was inspired by um, an article in New Scientist. Um, I don't think I can read very much of it because the, um, it's going to give me a subscription thing. But let me see. I might as well try it. Uh, this is the article here. As more bird species go extinct, those that are left may be more alike. A global analysis predicts that as we lose more bird species to extinction, those that remain will be more similar in terms of size, beak shape, and other features. Um, there's this article in New Scientist. You can actually read the whole thing at the link, which I am surprised. It's kind of unusual. Uh, New Scientist has a lot of paywalls, usually. Um, but um, the article is here. And, and yeah, so, I mean, biodiversity is a huge problem that's, um, that we're all facing. And that's what kicked off this uh, wonderful poem by Bob Hickok. And so since Bob's not here, I'm going to have to read it for him. Um, and here we go. This is um, On Sticking Out Like a Sore Opposable Thumb by Bob Hickok. We give hummingbirds sugar water in defiance of dentists' recommendations everywhere, and in return for our sweetness, we have been gifted a nest of thistle and dandelion down attached with spider silk to a plant on the front porch that holds a peeping chick. I am afraid to look at, lest my giant face and eyes scare the tiniest hearts for miles. You probably know by now of the extinction of birds and the growing similarity of those that remain, who are becoming more and more crow and sparrow-like, snowy egrets, soon gone, griffin vultures, say thems that study such things. Forgive me for making the plural pluraler. I just want more of everything in this time of lessening, and to keep us from erasing the world's green and red plumage, its blue and wild defiance of gravity. And forgive us, for we are big-brained and small-wisdomed, mostly inadvertently deadly, and largely incapable of understanding the complexity of life. Yet we have bulldozers, earth-movers, power plants, car and swizzle-stick factories, can-dam and redirective ri redirect rivers, cut off the tops of mountains and drill miles below the sea, can even make matter explode, smash the stuff of all stuff to bits, making us gods and diapers, magicians who have no clue what we've pulled out of the hat, and we need help. In addition to their zip and chittering, the air wars at the feeder over the four fake flowers to sip from. What I love about the hummingbirds is also what I fear about nature, the consistent demonstration of human inability to find a modest niche and nestle among the other breaths. Are we... 
an amazing blaze, an evolutionary oopsie-daisy, so devoted to the pursuit of comfort and ease that for the sake of hummingbirds and stoats, bats and bears, waterfalls and evergreens and everglades, we have to go. Or can we change? Can we share? I ask you now, since my magic eight ball shrugged at the question, and the river mumbled something about being late, and I'm lost somewhere, between the reasonableness of indoor plumbing and air conditioning, and the insanity of buying toilet paper online. Another way to put this, how many lives and species are single-serving puddings worth? I know, yum, but is yum enough? That was Bob Hickok with uh, Sunday's poem um, on sticking out like a sore, opposable thumb. And let me see if, um, trying to see if Alex is here yet. And he is not, it looks like, Zoom is suddenly making me use a waiting room, which it never did before. So hopefully I'm not, I don't have anybody sitting in the waiting room. I apologize if so. We'll see how it goes in the open lines later. His poem here, and this is um, about an article um, that was in uh, CNN Business here. Why Old Spice, uh, Colgate, and Dawn are locked up at drugstores. This is going to be tomorrow's poem. So it's a preview of what you're going to see there. And um, it's a story about how, um, you know, products are being locked by, behind cases more and more. Um, and the problem of, you know, people not wanting to buy things when they're under cases, but also being stolen when they're uh, of high value. And um, this is what Alex said about it. He said, um, I think the practice of securing store shelving is interesting because of the products themselves. They are things that human beings need to coexist. To me, this says a lot about capitalism. As a general system of human organization, it says a lot about desire, consumption, beauty, survival, self-esteem. That is uh, Alex's uh, quote there. In the Actually, I'm going to stop the presses and cut everybody off right there because Alejandro made it. <laughs> so here he is. Let's bring Alejandro in. You got part of the poem on his recording, but let's talk to him a little bit. Um, hey, Alex, are you there? Yeah, hi. Hey, good to see you. Sorry to make your rush home to get here on time, and I'm glad you just barely made it under the wire. It's good to see you. Okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, my, my router uh, busted on me this morning, so I had oh, to that's... go. <laughs> no problem. So uh, so um, tell me about this poem. I already kind of introduced it, but but I want to hear in your words. Like, what inspired you to write this poem, America Behind the Glass, which is going to be featured tomorrow? Um, Just kind of, you know, I, I think that after the pandemic, like post-pandemic stuff that I've noticed, and you know, now it's inflation that you notice. So mm -hmm. when you go to the stores um, and I, it's funny, it's just what, what strikes me is news stories that I saw uh, firsthand. So I remember thinking, why is everything behind glass? <laughs> and then, um, and then I read the news story that said, yeah, everything is getting behind, you know, they are putting normal uh, products uh, behind glass. So, um, more and more. Mm -hmm. So I noticed it in, I noticed it with the sort of pandemic shortages. Um, so it, it's just a, to me, it's, it's a, it's a, a symptom of, of something. Um, I'm always thinking about social conditions and, and, you know, capitalism in general and, um, you know, what's happening to how, how we're getting affected by, pandemics, wars, um, monkeypox, you know, you name it. So yeah. that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah, I read, um, the, the, I mean, the issue, I guess, is that um, certain products are just like high density value, so they can be stolen and then resold. You know, you can stuff a lot of it in your backpack. It's not that like people are stealing baby formula because they need it. It's because it's, uh, 
you know, something they can they can take a lot of and resell at a high profit. So that's what it's mostly about is the uh, theft rings, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I see it as like, I saw it as connected. You know, I don't know anything about finance, but I saw it as connected to the fact that just, you know, the fading of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, for because, sure. I mean, you know, who's behind the and, theft rings? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. all the sort of accomplices, mm-hmm. you know, I do believe in a kind of slight conspiracy issue when it comes to gouging. Mm-hmm. So I think we're all being gouged. And, and I just saw it as another um, proof of, of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also being gouged, I think, in terms of like feeling okay in America. Like if I, I, if I can't go into a store and buy a shaving cream um, in, a, in a way that makes me feel like I've, I've just done an, an errand, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. The, 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 you know, our, our, um, our quality of life is really going down really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something, our, uh, like yeah. social that's lost to it. You know, I mean, there's so few places we even gather anymore and one of them is a store to buy stuff. Well, and I heard, I heard two 20 somethings, you know, talk about when I, I remember when I first moved in the apartment and I had, I had shopping bags mm-hmm. in the elevator and they turned to each other and they said, there's no way I'm going to a grocery store. Are you, are you going to grocery stores? They're like, and I'm, and, and the other one's like, no way. And I'm like, I was shocked. I was like, you know, you, get, you know, I guess I get at that age where you figure some things are going to be around forever, but here's this young generation who thinks that grocery shopping is an option mm-hmm. and uh, you don't have to see people anymore. Yeah, you just don't yeah. have to see people. And now you can't even, see a product maybe <laughs> i know maybe. it's, it's definitely getting strange i don't know if you saw that uh i don't know what store it was it had i think it was walmart they had like the vr space where you could like in virtual reality walk and pick imaginary items up and put them in your cart and then they ship to you i oh, mean God. i don't know i i i'm a little weary of the way the world's going anyway but anyway let's let's hear this poem uh, live in your own voice um go ahead with the okay. america behind the glass okay america behind glass uh once i told my son You pay for credits in college, but you must learn on your own. Learning was locked up in a clear glass case. I recall pressing the button at my university, waiting for the lecturer to hand me the Derrida deodorant or Foucault contraceptives. I'd feel embarrassed, of course, standing in that forbidden aisle under bright lights. I read Kerouac in the dormitory where there was one chair in which to sit the dining hall where they locked up the burgers, the dogs, the meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Now they've got love locked up behind the glass case of the internet. You click on the product you want, but no one comes with the key. It's so fun to look at it all behind the glass, but quickly, no browsing. You've got to know what you want. America itself behind glass with the toothpaste, lipstick, detergent, razor's blades, those bold colors, Oranges, reds, purples, blues. I'd like to slow down enough to take a selfie with the locked up store shelves, but you'd never want to stand there too long. So I'm not one to ring and wait. I'd rather go without it. Take my citizen sadness home. Stocked in the aisles inside my cranium. Somewhere between the democratic milk, the highway of meats, the fruits of joy. Yeah, just a great, great poem, great ending. Thanks so much for sharing that. And, uh, and be able to, um, why don't you say one thing about, um, 
Um, you're still driven to write news poems, I see. You're like one of the record holders for news poems, it's legendarily so. I think you, you know, you send them most every week. So they're always good. Um, uh, do you still, do you feel any a sense of like getting tired of it or are you always just enjoying that news poem process? Um, I, I sometimes get a little wary uh, of the news itself and, and, you know, it repeats itself. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going. Uh, but then I find something and it, you know, somehow speaks to me in a new way, some kind of story that grabs me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think news stories are just are just stories about living, you know, and, and you really just as long as you're a reader and you're interested in information and you're 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 a thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's always going to be something that you can latch on to. Yeah, well, I'm very glad you uh, you keep writing them because uh, you know when we started Poets Respond, I always felt like, what if we don't have any po- like good poems to publish one week? And me and Megan were like, well, do we fake and write our own poem to just like and pretend to be someone else? But yeah. luckily, in in seven or eight years or whatever, it's never happened, and uh, and you're one of the reasons why. So thanks, Alex. Sure, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take care. It's always good to see you. All right, take care. Yep. Bye. And it was Alejandro Escudet with America Behind the Glass. We're going to take a quick break and go to our main guest now, Raquel Franco. So uh, hold tight, um, and I will be right back. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. As I mentioned, uh, this week's guest, Raquel Franco, is a wife, uh, mother, friend, sister, daughter, and author. Um, her work has been featured in the Thought Catalog, Harness Magazine, and twice in Rattle. She's the author of poetry collections Keep Me Wild, This Woman is Still a Girl, and When the Beast Stings, her most uh, recent collection, which is right here. Just a beautiful, beautiful book, which is something we want to talk about. Um, she's also featured in the poetry compilation Crown Anthology, and that includes over 100 wi- widely known Instagram artists. And that's where we met uh, Raquel first, is the Instagram Poets issue. Um, she was one of the, the best Instagram poets in there. Um, so it's really cool to see her and uh, check in with how she's doing. Hey, Raquel. Kel, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Um, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, hang on one second. Let me fix one thing because this is not right. And now we should be back. There it is. Raquel Franco, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. So it's great to see you, Raquel. Um, do you want to start us out with a poem uh, from the book? Sure. Um, I'm going to read my honest poem after Rudy Francisco. Um, just a little intro um, to get to know me. That'd be great. And, and I forgot to tell you, but let me know which page it's on so I can flip to it really quick. Uh, it's page 117. Okay, thanks. A quarter of the strangers I meet can't pronounce my name. Their tongues stumble over its syllables, but I wouldn't change it, not even for the man at the end of the aisle. My name is the only gift I have from my father, and I don't have the heart to give it away. It's Raquel, by the way. People are unsure of what they're getting when they see me, like to choose their own versions, black girl, white girl, Hispanic girl, but baby, I'm all three. Fire and a melting pot all boil. Born in June, they say I am a Gemini. Though I don't believe in horoscopes, I find that I am definitely two sides of a coin both roar and whisper. I'm quiet at first, always testing the waters people wade in, checking their temperature, and when it's just right, I become a crashing wave, all honesty and truth. Some people love that about me. Some people can't handle the tide. Don't like the charcoal taste my anxiety and depression can leave on the tongue. I love Jesus, but I don't talk to him enough. Dormant guilt sits in my belly over that truth because without him, I'd be nowhere. I'd be no one. 
I'm a mother of two dragons, beautiful, fierce things. I tend to love everything I can't keep. Blinking fireflies, paper napkin poems, and boys with pretty promises. I give love everything I have. My time, my money, my skin, my dignity. The shame used to haunt me, but I've evicted those ghosts. They still knock, but I don't let them in. I enjoy coffee with my cream, listening to Taylor Swift on repeat and cuddling of any kind. There's nothing like the soft fireplace warmth of a human body pressed against your own. My hobbies include capturing a genuine smile in a photograph, collecting books I may or may not ever read, and forcing words to reveal as much knowledge and truth that God has given me to offer. Sometimes I am just learning the same lessons over and over, but I am just grateful the pages keep turning that God is my publisher and we're still holding the pen. Yeah. Great, great line there at the end. I love that. And that was my honest poem uh, from uh, the newest book by Raquel Franco. When the beast stings right here, just a gorgeous, gorgeous object. You know, a lot of times books don't feel like objects, um, you know, but this feels like a piece of art itself. So very cool to get this book in the mail. Um, Let's start out just talking about how, what your journey was like into poetry. Like, how did you become a poet? Like, did you always want to write? Was it something that you picked up because of a certain instance? Uh, what, what happened? Um, as a kid, I loved to read. I would spend, like, entire summers reading, and I always wanted to be a writer, and I wrote short um, stories. Um, I wrote poetry here and there, but it wasn't really my passion at the time. Um, and then as I got older, I went through a really hard breakup and my mother passed away. Um, and I started discovering these poets on Tumblr and it really just spoke to me and it like ignited something in me. And I started to remember and gravitate towards writing again and it became like a healing experience for me. Um, so I started posting it online and then I met other poets. Um, I really feel like the poetry community online has been such a gift and a blessing to mm-hmm. me. It's opened so many doors um, that, I mean, that's where all, almost all of my opportunities have come from is from being online and just putting my work out there. So, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. When was this, when you started the Tumblr, was that, I'm not all that familiar with how, you know, the Tumblr community yeah, um, Tyler Knott Gregson uh, and Langley and Michael Flaudette were like the three main poets. I I think Ruby Core started out there, but I I don't remember her work from it mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, gosh, I don't remember what year it was. <laughs> like maybe 10 years ago or so? Is that, you know, like the, or even Yeah, I, I feel like Instagram for me, like... I really started to take that seriously in 2016. So I know it was before then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, and so it's interesting that you talk about how it was healing that kind of brought you to poetry, which is the case so often. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find uh, one thing I always wonder, like, I feel like poets sort of always, this is sort of a model of poetry I have, but I feel like we always have like stuff we're trying to deal with, like emotional baggage mm-hmm. or like problems or issues that like don't make sense and like emotional things that haven't healed. Um, and then we write some books and poetry that like heal them and we get that sort of, you know, thing out that we needed to get out, but then we're still poets and then you move on to the next thing. So since it's been a while and you're on three books already, has it been hard to move past and like, um, branch out into different things? How have you, how have you done that? 
Absolutely. I'm actually like in a space where I'm struggling <laughs> with what's right next. Um, I definitely have a book brewing in my life because <laughs> like you said, I feel, I feel like I'm waiting for the next trauma mm-hmm. so I can heal from it, <laughs> write about it. And then once I feel, you know, safe and feel like I've learned from this, then, you know, I can make art out of it. Um, so I'm dealing with some things and I have some ideas boiling, but I'm just like kind of waiting to get yeah. through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I was so. wondering uh, while I was reading this book, since you mentioned Taylor Swift a, a few times and uh, yeah. my daughter is a huge Swifty, so I know every song by heart. And, um, <laughs> and um, I mean, you just can't help it because that's all we listen to on like road trips and stuff. And we're an yeah. hour from anything. So it's like a Taylor Swift album away. Like how many Taylor Swift albums away is the drive? You know? Oh, my God. I love that. But, um, <laughs> but um, one of the things I think um, if I if I understand right, I think folklore and whatever the other one is, the the, the more recent ones aren't, aren't, weren't like readers submitted sort of content. And she wrote songs about pe- other people's stories. Am I right about that? Ooh, I don't know, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> Wow, what yeah, kind of Swifty are you? <laughs> I know, I guess. I don't know. I mean, but maybe, uh, you know, sometimes Megan tells me stuff that she's made up to mess with me and then I repeat it. So maybe it's <laughs> not true. But I thought she was writing about um, other people's stories and uh, and tried to be more of a storytelling vibe. And what I was wondering yeah. when I was reading this is because so many poems are after, you know, written for other people in the book, too. There's a whole bunch of them that do that. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you were doing that. Were you sort of taking other people's stories and were people asking you to write poems for them? No, um, with this book, I really f- was feeling like friendship, especially between women, isn't celebrated enough. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like I wanted a big piece of this book to do that. Um, so the women that are the closest in my life and mean the most to me, um, I kind of wanted to say thank you. And I wanted to write a little bit about our story and, you know, what has gotten us to the place that you know we're at mm-hmm. yeah well that that friendship definitely comes through um do you want to, let's read another poem from the book sure well now i want to pick a different one <laughs> now that we talked about that <laughs> um let's see actually I'll, i'm gonna read um the title poem when the bee stings Okay, and that's in the middle somewhere. What page? It's page 61. Okay. It is said a colony of bees consists of one queen and up to 40,000 female worker bees, an orchestra of flapping wings. If the colony is ever met with an intruder, maybe a waspy man with hungry hands, the worker bees will attack, divide and conquer venom sting. When the bee stings with their weapon, they lose their life. Breath for breath, they die for their sisters and their queen. They live to protect the colony. I wonder what more we could do to protect our sisterhood. A howling pink army of women standing together, determined to never let them in without permission. Yeah, that was a title poem from When the Bee Stings. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk more about the theme, about um, about that, like why, why that bee metaphor? Why does that resonate with you? Um... I think for me, like when um, I wish I could remember how I stumbled upon it, but I was just researching. Sometimes when I think of a metaphor that I, I'll like go down a rabbit hole and see like what else I can incorporate and what message I can um, intertwine into the poem. And 
I actually never knew that worker bees were all female. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, that is the most amazing thing. And then I kept reading more and I was like, how, you know, they, they protect their queen at all costs. And I was like, like, that is awesome. I was like, I have to write about this. And especially at the time when I was writing about friendship, it was like perfect. So that's how it kind of came together. And it just ended up being like the perfect title. Cause I think I had a different title before, mm-hmm. um, but the publisher and I just thought that it didn't, it didn't work. Um, and I was like, well, when the bee stings like that, that's perfect. Cause it was like a, the aha poem for me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I want to talk about a lot is just the, cause you approach publishing different than most of our guests, because you come mm-hmm. through that Instagram and Tumblr angle. Were all the poems mm-hmm. in this book published on Instagram before they were in the book? Not all of them, no. Mm-hmm. So, so um, what is your, like, how do you decide? Because you've published two poems in Rattle. Um, so you're mm-hmm. sort of like have, you know, both, you know, feet in both rivers or whatever you'd say. Yeah. Um, so so how, do you, how do you decide, like, what goes where and, and just how the, the book comes to be? Like, like what, how do you know what to do when you write a poem? Is, is there a goal that you're writing for? Like, what, how does that work? Um, I definitely feel like when I started out, I was definitely trying to reach women and encourage them to feel empowered um, and to have self-love. Um, and so I I try to make my poems as positive as possible. It doesn't always happen. Um, so like if I'm writing about something sad, I want there to be a twist in the end that says, but you know, it's going to be okay. Everything's mm-hmm. going to work out. Um, and so I feel like, like writing this book, I just kind of think like, what do I want to say? And so I'll go back through like my Instagram poems and try to pick out the ones that I know resonated the most with people. Um, And then I'll just, I don't even know. It's kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like something comes to me, then, you know, I'm going to stick with that theme and then I'll just keep writing and like, I'll want to share them, but I just like keep them close to me Mm -hmm. so that, you know, there's something in there that no one's seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just such an interesting thing to uh, to balance. Uh, you know how to do, you know, you know, if you have this this whole audience um, through a platform like Instagram, um, how much to mm-hmm. to share and how much not to. Um, yeah. Are there a certain, um, you know, like some poems are longer than others? Like, like, can you talk a little bit about like what works on Instagram? Like, is there some kind of like way, like a certain kind of poem that works better than others? Um, obviously, because people's atten- attention span is so small, um, shorter usually works best, but not always. Um, sometimes the longer poems, if it's just something that is, resonates with people. And I mean, the algorithm now, it's kind of feels like a crapshoot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, back in the day, I feel like there was a, a formula to it that you could stick to and your poems would get seen and that was really telling whether it was good or not mm-hmm. because the same amount of people are seeing it and responding. Now I don't even know if it's going to get seen or not. So it's kind of like up and down, but um, yeah, I mean, shorter is better. And mm-hmm. I feel like lately I've been trying to um, like submit work to other publications like rattle mm-hmm. um, and writing longer poems just because social media is changing and it's, you know, it's, 
the success isn't as mm-hmm. there as much as it used to be. Yeah, so it, it's <laughs> captured by algorithms. I mean, it's really interesting to mm-hmm. me because I mean, you see that just on Rattle's page or whatever too. Early on in any social media platform, there aren't enough users to have too much filtering. And so mm-hmm. they can just say like, oh, whatever generates interest ends up being the thing that we show more. And that works for a long time. And then they start just manipulating it. And so, you know, early on, how much engagement a poem has would mean something. And mm-hmm. later on in, in the evolution of Facebook in particular, it's just what keywords, like if I use the wrong word that Facebook doesn't like, no matter how good the poem is, they don't show it to anybody now. Right. And so I have to like, not just think about like the best quote to share on our Facebook page, but I have to think about like which words are going to maybe upset them and it's just black box you have no idea what you know what actually matters and even if you like get pick something for that purpose you don't know if that was had anything to do with how the poem performed right um, and so it's weird it's like this um thing that used to be great and now is just ruined <laughs> like maybe uh yeah i don't know visiting uh the grand canyon or something it was great until you know <laughs> too many people showed up or something i don't know right but um Anyway, it's interesting that you mentioned that, though, because it's just that's something I'm struggling with, too. Um, but anyway, let's hear, hear another poem. This is after Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> it's page, uh, page 42. Okay. Um, after Taylor Swift said, wasn't it easier in your lunchbox days? I don't think it's ever been easy, at least not for me. I could never walk a straight line, always veered more towards sadness. I'd met happiness a few times, but joy, joy was some type of sugar I didn't have the palate for. My six-year-old belly was full of moth wings that craved the taste of butterflies. Walking to school, my unripened hands carried my lemon-yellow plastic lunchbox, holding crispy potato chips and a peanut butter and strawberry jelly sandwich made by my mother's hands. And along with my blue book bag, I gave depression a piggyback ride every day to and from school. I didn't know why I felt so much, why I swelled with melancholy. My mother didn't understand when I turned sour, but didn't believe in therapy or medication. One day I found poetry to mute my ugly emotions, painted the page to feel more like paperweight and less like anchor. I didn't ever want to lose my muse, avoided the therapist's chair, but words weren't thick enough to hold me and I folded into a shape of myself I did not recognize. Desperate, I broke the dam of my anguish in a therapist's office with one little pill. The fog lifted and I was still me and life was a little easier, a little more lunchbox, jungle gym days. And the only thing I wished was that I grabbed onto helping hands a little earlier. And that was after Taylor Swift said, wasn't it easier in your lunchbox days? (laughs) Um, And um, so, so how, um, you know, you do mention Taylor Swift a good amount. How influential is uh, is Taylor to your your writing style? I mean, she is a great songwriter. Um, is that is that an influence? Do you think? Definitely. Um, like when I listen to an album, I will like write and write and write. Like I am like desperate for her to come out with something new because <laughs> it really helps me a lot. Um, I she influences me, and but I don't. I wouldn't say that I write like she does i mm-hmm. feel like she's a magical unicorn <laughs> <laughs> so i wouldn't want to compare myself um but yeah just she'll just hit you like with the right imagery and metaphor and just like the shortest little story and just a song and it just they're like oh 
feel it so hard. <laughs> so, so one of the things that you said was cool was that you're trying to be positive in poems, which I think is a it's mm-hmm. a trap. It's it's just I don't know it's not even a trap. It's like a problem, like a huge obstacle in poetry. And I always feel yeah. like it's poet because poetry, like I was talking about before, we're all drawn to poetry. Most of us because we have some kind of issue that we're grappling with, and so mm-hmm. the process of poetry becomes like a sol- problem solving type tool. And because of that, it, it's sort of, um, you know, problem is like the source of poetry, <laughs> at least for the way that we confront it usually. And so it becomes really hard to write poems that are positive. And, you know, I look through the poems that we publish very often and I'm like, oh, God, like I'm looking at this issue and it's like dark poem, <laughs> dark poem, darker poem. I need something. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's rare in submissions. It's really hard to generate sort of cr- that creative magic when there's not some kind of struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so how do you go about writing a positive poem? Is there any advice you have for doing that? Um, it definitely is hard. There's lots of poems I've written and then at the end I'm like, uh, like that made me depressed, <laughs> like <laughs> after reading it and editing it and looking at it so, so much. Um, so sometimes I have to step away and like come to it with a different headspace. Um, but I always, um, I guess it's like putting a happy ending on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so even in, in the poem I just read, um, you know, I really struggled with depression and, you know, I had no help, like therapy and medication was something that was frowned upon, you know, in my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I was even afraid to do it, but in the end, I tried it and it changed my life forever. Hmm. Um, I feel like every single bad thing that we go through, we get through it and that's the positive spin on it. So, Hmm. I mean, you're here, you're okay. So (laughs) I feel like there's a way to put that in every situation and every poem that you write. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you just have to step away to get there. Like for me right now, I'm going through something. So that's why I feel like I can write about it, but I, I don't want to publish it yet because mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to that positive spin or the yeah. healing yet. Oh, that, that's so. interesting. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is too, I mean, when you're, when you're writing primarily for a social media audience, like Instagram, like you get that instant feedback. And I think the mm-hmm. result is that you, you know, write your poems more for what people actually want to hear, which is a different mm-hmm. kind of, you know, projection. Cause I think a lot of times poets are exploring and trying to make sense of something internally and then if it works and they can craft it in a way that other people will enjoy, that's like, you know, secondary almost. But then, um, mm. but when you're writing with an audience like that in mind, um, you know, it, it just makes it, it, it would lend itself more to, to staying positive, I would think, because you're, you're looking at the feedback, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had women, so many women come to me and say that they were so inspired or made their day better, or they were going through the same thing and that it gave them hope. And so hearing that, you know, it it feeds me to want to put work like that out there. Um, And there's been times where I've written a poem that didn't end positively and it was like hard for me to share but i do know that that still helps people Mm -hmm. um because someone that's going through it too and they haven't reached that moment Mm -hmm. as well um but more often i like to put something out there that's gonna encourage someone and let them know that it's gonna be okay and maybe help them see the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, um, if anybody has any questions for Raquel, leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or uh, YouTube, and I will pass them along. Um, why don't we uh, read another poem, though, in the meantime? Page 21. If you're reading this with a hollow heart, red stained rims from a freshly salted wound, I see you. I know loneliness. I have stared up at the popcorn ceiling in the dead of night with eyes so wilted and my throat so torn from loss, there was no room for sleep. I've begged the Lord to take the shattering, take the scent of cologne from my pillow, or let it stay forever. Asked why, asked when. You are not alone, and your prayers won't go unanswered. The answer will be time, gentle time. And that was, uh, if you were reading this with a hollow heart. Again, we're reading poems from When the Bee Stings, Raquel Franco's newest book from... Um, from Thought Catalog Books. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, I, I've seen, this is the only book of yours that I've held in my hand, um, but I've seen the other books you made, and the first two were made on CreateSpace yourself, like independently. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really curious what your experience was with that, because it's one of the things, you know, poets always ask me if they should wait to publish, um, for a press to publish their book, or like what they should do in like the world today, because there's this sort of, still this like lingering stigma about self-publishing um you know and, and my advice is usually just like to ask yourself what you're trying to get out of the book and, and what you want your future to be because if you're writing for people and to share poems then then create space or, or whatever self-publishing platforms are just wonderful because they don't have money up front you end up doing all the marketing yourself whether you're on a small press or a um, or doing, you know, self-publishing. Um, the only thing I say is that if you're looking to be like a tenure-track professor somewhere and you want to get in that path of academia, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should avoid that and um, establish yourself on presses first for the CV. Um, that's usually my opinion. Um, but what has your experience been like with, with publishing on your own versus publishing now with a press for the first time? Um... I mean, I, I agree with what you said. I feel like the dream is to publish with uh, via traditional publishing. Um, but I got to the point where I, I just felt like I was overflowing with this message that I, I needed to put out there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to wait. Um, I also feel that in this day and age, I've seen lots of poets self-publish and then go on their big their book gets picked up by another publisher mm -hmm. or it opens doors for them to go on with to traditional publishing so um i say do it mm -hmm. if you if you're ready <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good um, point um you know i read um the martian i don't know if you're familiar with that book or the movie um but that was yeah. a self-published book he just he really? didn't, um i think it was just a blog like he posted like a chapter as blog posts and then finally, people enjoyed him so much, they said, hey, put this out as a book. And then he did. I can't remember the author's name. Um, and then it was a book just on Amazon CreateSpace. Um, and then a publisher picked it up. And then a movie picked it up. And then Matt Damon was playing his character. I think it's Matt Damon, right? So Yeah. <laughs> so uh, wow, yeah, that's, that's a awesome. different different angle that, that people don't often think of. Um, I mean, if there's a market, you know, there has to be a market. Um, mm -hmm. Are there things that you do to, to generate an audience and market outside of social media? Um, what is your, uh, do you have any advice for that? Because that's something that poets usually hate. 
is, um, you know, marketing themselves and making websites and having like a presence online. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we love doing readings usually, but, um, other than that, every yeah. aspect, we don't like setting up readings though. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so what is it, what is your advice for marketing a book? I mean, I really feel like social media is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, collaborating with other poets is really helpful. So when you are doing readings to do them with other poets and not just yourself is super helpful. Um, doing writing workshops um, has helped. So that's something you can also do um, with other poets. And I've even um, met some other female business owners mm-hmm. um, in the area and they love working together and collaborating together. Um, I hosted a workshop with um this woman who um uh she like has these glamming like tents Uh (laughs) so it was a really cool space to um have a workshop and a reading and it got you know her name out there as well so that's always cool and you're just helping each other and your community um that's really all I could think of, to be honest. It really is just all social media and then, you know, whatever you can mm-hmm. do, you know, mm-hmm. around um, you. Do you have any advice for, for social media? Like, I mean, a lot of people have bad experiences on uh, Twitter and, and mm-hmm. Instagram, you know, the, with a poetry community. How do you, I mean, maybe the positivity of your message is one of the things that, that helps with that. Um, How do you, just how do you approach social media? Do you have any advice for being, being productive on social media and not like a, you know, a drag on your life? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely if you're just starting out, it's consistency is key. Um, you know, figuring out what you can commit to, if that's posting every day, posting more than once a day, um, Instagram definitely likes consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, TikTok is really huge right now. Um, that's something also like if you take like a few months and just post as many times as you can a day and make sure you're posting every day, Mm Um, and just trying different things out, um, and see kind of what people like mm-hmm. and then take it from there. Um, do you, do you use TikTok? I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm terrified of TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> like I, uh, I've, I've thought about like, what could you do to like promote and share poetry in that medium? And then I go there and I feel like I'm being bombarded. Like it feels like, um, that scene in, um, Oh, I don't know. What's that movie? That futuristic movie and they're walking around in the market and everyone's like blaring things at you as a total recall. I don't know. But whatever that movie <laughs> is, it's just like, bah, bah, bah. Like yeah. it, I just, whoo, I need to like take a nap. I don't know. Maybe I'm yes. just too old. But um, <laughs> it, it, how do you find a way to like make poetry work in that space? Because it's just so fast and so overstimulating, yeah. which is like the opposite of what poetry is in a way. Yeah. I actually really love TikTok. <laughs> Um, I find it refreshing and I feel like the, the content is more on the humorous side. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is kind of hard to, um, integrate poetry in a, in a place <laughs> that's like supposed to like lift you up and be funny, but there, there's a lot of poets that do really well on there and they, it's actually very, very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, all I do is everywhere I go, if I see, um, a pretty view mm-hmm. i'll take like a nine second video of it so let's say it's just the sunset mm-hmm. um and then i will either put my word put my words on top of it put like a little poem and like a song and that's it mm-hmm. so it it can be very easy and you don't have to necessarily put your face out there there's some poets who 
just take a video of their book mm-hmm. and post that every day ah, and huh. it works for them. Yeah. Well, how do you, what do you mean a video of their book? Sorry for like mining you for ideas, but I need some help. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, just like a page in their book and mm-hmm. they'll just record it. Oh, like, really? Do they read yeah. it or do they, do they just show some it? people, some mm-hmm. people don't. I was thinking one of the things I was thinking was that because it's so, there's so much like stimulation that it'd be like one of those things where the silence grabs your attention. And so uh, maybe, yeah. maybe not having any sound or anything would like freak people out enough that they actually pay a little more attention. I don't know. That's just my <laughs> thought maybe. About it. Um, but, uh, but I don't know who would follow a poetry magazine, you know, by a 42 year old guy on Instagram anyway. Um, I mean, Biden, not, uh, <laughs> and a lot of people, they have accounts now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Poetry's poetry. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, there's a question here from Deborah T. She asks, uh, do you get feedback on your poems from others and revise before publishing? Ooh, absolutely. Um, I always try to get as many people as I can to read it um, mm-hmm. before submission. And while it's being edited, like in this case, um, the publisher edited this book for me. Um, so I had some friends, family, and then I'll always ask some other poets to read it for me and give their feedback. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, are there any poetry groups that like work in a workshop and work on poems together? Have you done any classes or anything like that? Is there any kind yes. of, like, yeah. Poems that don't suck <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> it is the best class I've ever taken. I've taken it like four times and it's uh-huh. the best community. They're so helpful. Um, oh, is that Megan Faley? Yeah. Oh, we published her too. I didn't know uh, she was doing mm-hmm. that. Very interesting. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she is amazing. She's taught me so much. Um, she's actually what's inspired me to start getting my poems out there in um, magazines and online publications. Very and interesting. Like so, that. Oh, and that's, so, that's over Zoom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I didn't realize she was doing that. Maybe we should have her on as a guest as well. You should. Uh, well, <laughs> let's, hear, uh, let's hear another poem. Um, this is page 39. It's called Childhood. We were the sewer street kings and queens, grocery store hunters, sidewalk maps guiding us through a childhood summer dream, boy crush wanderers trying to discover names for uncharted feelings. If only we could have held on to those days a little longer, stretched those cherub hours and stayed mud pie dirty and unbothered by anything outside our holy make-believe domain. And that was childhood. Perfect size for for, uh, for Instagram poem. Yeah. Um, let's see. So um, another thing um, um, Cindy Gore was asking about, um, about, about how much research goes into poems. Um, and do you, if you could talk more about just researching and, and how the, the poem comes to be, I guess. Is there something that instigates a poem or does it come from a feeling usually for you? Um, I think it's different every time. Sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes if I have writer's block, I'll say, what is it I need today? Like, what am I going through? How am I feeling? Am I feeling anxious? Am, am I depressed? Am I happy? If I'm happy, which I, happiness is always harder to write, mm-hmm. um, I will try to really, like, look at the small little moments. There's even some poems in this book where I was just watching my daughter and just they have so much joy in the littlest things like, you know, collecting rocks. And, like, I'll try to start from there. Um, sometimes... I'll just hear a word 
And I'm like, ooh, I really like that word, and I want to use it in a poem. Let's see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always different. I could be watching a show or a movie or listening to a song, and it'll inspire something. It happens in the car a lot. Mm which is not safe. <laughs> 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 it always happens to me in the car. So where do you usually write? Do you write, um, if you're in the car though, what do you, do you use your phone? Do you use a um, notepad that you always have with you? How do you, how do you write the poems out for the first draft? Yeah, you know? I'll, I'll try to write it in my notes app. Mm-hmm. I'll try to be as safe as possible. I hate texting <laughs> and driving. I really yeah. do. Like, mm-hmm, for sure. I get on people. Um, but I usually will actually write on my couch Mm-hmm. Um, I like to curl up and like be cozy um, and get as comfortable as I can, like snuggle up with my cat. Um, and I'll typically write like that. Um, but if I'm inspired, like I always have a notebook with me and I'll write in there mm-hmm. um, or my notes app. And, and how often do you write? Do you write daily? And, 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 and what percentage of your writing would you say you share as well? Ooh. Um, that's a good question. If I'm working on a book, it's probably 25% I'm sharing. Um, when I'm not, maybe 70%. Um, and I'd say I usually write every day. I try to, even for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but lately I've been like in like a little slump. So it's mm-hmm. maybe like a few times a week. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let's hear another one. Okay. Um, this is page 49. It's called You Just Do. You and your sister were releasing a pro- procession of tears in our living room, trying to live through your brother's last hours. I was about to leave, suffocating from the raven of grief hovering in the air. I had all too recently escaped the palms of mourning wrapped around my own throat. How do you get through it, you asked. Eyes red-rimmed and desperate for an immaculate solution. My belly ached for you, watching your fear of goodbye trickle down your face, fading into the carpet. I had no answers I could tie up for you and make them sound sweeter or easier. Even worse, I was leaving you. Death's touch was too fresh on my skin. My mother had only been resting in the earth's soil six months. This should have been the reason I stayed. I should have cried rivers with you, held your arms together to soften the fall. I knew better. I know that tragedies are made to birth helping hands, but instead of offering hands, I replied, you just do. And that was You Just Do. Again, we're reading poems from uh, When the Bee Stings. Um, What is your, um, your, your personal life around... Um, you know, outside of poetry, feel about the poetry? Um, is it something that, that you get a lot of support and encouragement from, or is it like a side thing that like is sort of separate from the rest of the people around you? Like, like what do people think? And do they react when you have poems about them? Um, how, does, how does that feel? Um, I feel like for the longest time, it was something that I was experiencing kind of on my own. And I really um, leaned on the poetry community that I had. Um, it was until this book, I think, and I'm not sure why, maybe it was because it was with a publisher and I didn't self publish, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. though I think that is no small feat, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, um, family and friends started to take it more seriously and, you know, were encouraging me. Um, it's funny when I first started out, I would, 
when I was sharing online, people would be like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm fine. I, it took them a while to understand that it was, it's just a process. And I may be writing about something that happened years ago and it's not necessarily in, in the present day. Um, but it's, it's really cool. And it's been amazing to finally get that support and people to understand how hard I've worked to get to this place. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do, do you find that, uh, that people, you know, when you do expose them to poetry, um, want to write too? Like, do you think that there's like sort of a gateway? Cause I would love a world in which everybody or most everybody, right. You know, like people used to write in diaries. Um, mm-hmm. it'd just be wonderful if there was like a social media platform for poetry and people just loved actually sharing their thoughts that way. And, um, and we can't even get a social media platform that does line breaks, right. You know, <laughs> so, um, or has italics, um, without some kind of extra app. Um, but it would just be great if we did more poetry. Do you think sharing poetry through social media is something that's like a gateway that gets people into it? Have you experienced that? Like some of your readers become poets and then part of that poetry group you keep talking about? Definitely. Um, I've had like, um, Oh, shoot. I was going to call them book talkers, but that's not <laughs> their, um, the bookstagram community. I, I um, I've had a either, lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of um, book bloggers like that were into poetry come to me and say that they were afraid to share and, and ask for advice on how to get into it. Um, I've, yeah, I've definitely had a lot of young girls come to me and say that it was something they always wanted to do and how, you know, how do you get to this place? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really amazing that, you know, that's been able to happen like through, through my words. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you ever come across the problem? I was talking to um, Pavana Reddy, who's uh, also an Instagram poet. Um, she was one of, I think maybe episode four or something way back three years ago. Oh, I forgot to say this is a three year anniversary of the show. So happy oh, wow. anniversary, everybody. Happy anniversary. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, she was on here, you know, one of the very early episodes. And one of the things she talked about was the, um, the plagiarism that happens. Do you ever, have you come across that of people like stealing their poems and pretending they're yours? Cause that is the most baffling thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand why someone would be compelled to um, do that when they could just write their own poems, you know? Right. I mean, I guess maybe it's the fame they're looking for. If it was a poem that did well, I don't know. Um, I've never caught anyone doing it to my work. Um, thankfully, I have had people take my work and put it on their art and sell it, mm-hmm. um, which is a bummer. But <laughs> um, yeah, I thankfully I've just never been a part of it. I have seen it from from other poets out there, and it's 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 sad. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know why I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know. I mean, because poetry is so powerful on a personal level. I mean, it's a, it's a meaning making mm-hmm. tool that lets us understand our lives better. Um, I just want everybody to write poems. And so I love the thought of, of more and more people writing poems because of different mediums. It's a wonderful thing mm-hmm. to me. Um, but then the thought of um, people stealing it and pretending it's theirs is sort of a, you know, maybe maybe the uh, you know we have the NFT poetry issue. Maybe everybody can be on the blockchain, and then everything's uh, <laughs> provenance is proven, um, and, and not too long in, in Web 3.0. But um, yeah. um, anyway, I think we have time for two more poems. If you want to do one poem, and then a little more talk, and then a last poem. So, uh, what do you want for your second to last poem? Let's see. Okay. 
This is um, page 57. Ode to the girls in the nightclub bathroom. To the tiny underage girl with a scared but hopeful amber eyes asking me for a drink. I appreciate your bravery, your hunger for a taste. I smile and hand you the sweating bottleneck beer. Lee feeling grateful you trusted a sister and not a guy with bad intentions. To the girl puking broken secrets into a porcelain bowl, cherish that girl holding back your hair, tracing circles on your spine. She will help you put your jigsaw parts back together. To the girl spilling salted cocktails down her flushed cheeks, the boy you came here to find, the one holding a tumbler full of a good man's forgery, isn't worth the minutes you stand there in the corner of the stall. Take this moment by your fists. Wipe the mascara running and dance like you are the only one in the room. And to the girl standing in front of her own reflection, red mouth whispering, mirror, mirror, am I worthy of desire? You don't need a thirsty man's approval. You are a neon light humming, an audacious thing, a mirror ball that would cause any man to sober. And that was um, Ode to the Girls in the Nightclub Bathroom. Um, did you have any uh, poets um, that, that are on Instagram and in that community that you, that you recommend people check out? The, the one thing that was really interesting to me doing the Instagram poets issue is it seemed like there was no correlation between the quality of the poems and the number of followers people had. And what was interesting about you is that you had good poems and had a lot of followers. I think you were one of the only ones. Uh, you and Pavana, I think, might Thank have been you. the only two. And most of the people that had good poems, as, as far as I define them, you know, as whatever yeah. you know, subjective way, but something that's like memorable and transformative and makes you feel something that's not prepackaged or something. You know what I mean? So, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like who, you know, we can easily find the most popular Instagram poets and maybe some of those are the best, but who do you think are the best? Like who is, if you have an Instagram account, who would you recommend following for their poetry? Do you have any suggestions? Yes. Um, Amy Kay, I think it's at Amy Kay. Mm -hmm. um, she is phenomenal. I, I beg her to write a book all the time. <laughs> um, she's so good. Um, Allison Malie is really wonderful um the constant poet is also really good um she just self-published a book allison malie actually um published a a few books with um andrews mcneil um a few years back mm -hmm. um gosh there's so many yeah and, and there really is and it's it it's become so saturated and it's unfortunate that like you know, not everyone's getting getting seen like they were back in the day, but yeah. Mm -hmm. are... Yeah. And, and what would you say that is the cause of that disconnect though? Cause it was kind of shocking to me, to be honest, like how, you know, is it like the, the, the work they put in to like be consistently posting or is it like the aesthetic of like the personality? Um, like, like what do you think drives some people to have a lot of followers um, and I assume then sell a lot of books versus somebody else who doesn't, you know, struggles to have followers and sell books. Do you have any, mm -hmm. any inkling of what's behind that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's how much you put in to the platform, mm -hmm. um, especially with Instagram, like they want you to use every feature that they provide, um, posting to stories, um, commenting with other people engaging with others um, every day, all the time, trying to meet new people. Um, 
and I, when I started out, I did do that. And, but it, it gets tiring. It is yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. work. So, you know, I commend the people that, um, take that time. Um, but I feel like, so your message has to be something that, you know, people can relate to, but also it's like putting in the work to mm-hmm. stay consistent on that platform and engaging with others and meeting others and constantly, you know, commenting and taking polls and, mm-hmm doing everything that Instagram <laughs> wants you to do. They want you to stay on the app. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and, and how much does that translate over to um, actual book sales? Because I don't know if you know how few bo- poetry, you know, f- copies poetry books sell, but the average poetry book probably only sells like 50 copies to people who aren't their friends and family. I mean, that's just the secret of um, small press publishing, which is pretty much all, unless you're, um, you know, have your, your books be picked up on a course syllabi. So a whole class is ordering them 12 or 20 at a time. Um, or you win like a Pulitzer prize or something. And so it's in the media. Um, it's just such a small market for traditional, like mainstream rattle, you know, literary magazine type poetry. Um, is there a bigger market? Like, do you sell more than, have you sold more than 50 copies of this book? I guess I'm asking. Is it, is yeah. it like much more? <laughs> but still not, it's not like a yeah. lot. It's not, it's not paying my bills or anything. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just, um, I don't know. I, I just wonder how much, I don't know, like how much we could, more we could be doing to get our poems in a way that people actually want to buy. That's the thing I just kind of want to struggle with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, is there any advice um, you have on that? Yeah. I mean, and that also goes with, I think the, the authors that put themselves out there and try to develop a relationship. And, and sometimes people will buy the book because they like you mm-hmm. and they just want to support you. Um, I know a lot of poets that, you know, go live and post videos of themselves. And I also think that um, the authors that are trying to lend a helping hand do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, ones that host workshops or, you know, give tips on, you know, how to publish or how they've gotten to where they are um, really do well as well. Um, I also have heard just posting your book and mm-hmm. that's been like a struggle with me since I was like, there's only so many pages in the book. I don't want to post <laughs> every page because then it's no one going to buy it. But I've actually talked to other authors that, that have sold well and they said that they've practically posted almost every page of the book mm-hmm. and it, it still sells. So maybe that's something to try. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, having things online, I, I think there's, um, you know, people want to hold back their poems, but I think having mm-hmm. them online where they can be shared and seen only helps mm-hmm. people want to have the physical copy or, or something they can help out and, and support the author in some way. Um, right. you know, broadsides too, which Josh Williams uh, just mentioned on uh, Facebook over there. Um, you know, having something that, that you can buy after um, reading a poem, um, just having something like that, I think it really helps just to have as many poems as possible out there in front of a public. Um, yeah. And the other thing that you, you have, I think, is that you have, um, you know, by, by using apps like Instagram in the way that you do, you have an audience that's not that Ouroboros of like every single potential reader is also a writer who wants to sell you their book. <laughs> you know? mm. Like you have followers who um, are not English majors, I assume, and just enjoy yeah. poetry from time to time popping up on their feed, which is so it's such a hard thing to break out of this little like niche bubble that we have as poets, too. Um, so it, I don't know. It just seems like something that we could all learn a lot from what, from what you've, re, what you're able to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it is such a struggle. Like I, especially wanting to, um, put my work out there and publish with publications. It's like, then I know I can't share that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I'm always like, do I want to share this? And, you know, it's going to reach so many people and, you mm-hmm. know, maybe help me along the way or do, you know, I want to put it in this publication and reach and reach those people. Like, but then you have to wait like mm-hmm. six months to hear back. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, yeah. That's something that's I really close, just, close to me. Oh, sorry. I, I feel like, um, it's just like an albatross around our necks, just the definition of published and not, you know, it's just so antiquated. Like it comes from to make public when the only thing we could use to make something public was a Gutenberg printing press and you could put up like flyers, you know, and that's what publishing meant. And now there's a million ways, all the walls are all torn down and to still use that make public definition is just so limiting, you know, and it feels, seems to me like when you post something on social media and I want to write an essay about this for something, but when you post something to social media, you're still in control of that content. Like you could delete it. You didn't give anybody permission to use it on their own, you know, anywhere else. Like you didn't give a third party anything that's not revocable. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's sharing it with your friends, you know? And, and this is where social interaction lives in the 21st century. And so I feel like we should just get rid of that definition and that limitation and say that we'll publish something as long as no other publisher has published it, you know, in our format yeah. too. Um, you get the same thing with just sharing poems on, um, on YouTube channels like this. A lot of people don't share their, their poems here that they would because they haven't been published yet in the, in the open mic right. section later. And, and they, you know, there's the worry that someone's going to think that they're um, not publishable anymore, even though I think it's just an urban legend. Um, but I think we got to just let people share poems. Like it's, it's, good for the world if people share more poems it's not bad for poetry if people share poems and the person who reads your magazine isn't also probably following Raquel Franco on Instagram and saw that poem and if they were they're like oh wow I saw that poem on Raquel's page and now it's here that's awesome it's not there's nothing bad about that (laughs) so it just drives me crazy just my own little soapbox but yeah um for sure so it's interesting to hear that you struggle with that too Mm -hmm. I mean I think it 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 makes continues the poetry world to go around and round Mm -hmm. if we're able to share it wherever we like and it to be published i mean because even if someone saw a poem that i published in a magazine they're like oh i you know i I really love her work maybe there's other poems and and there in poets that i would like and that gets them to you know go buy the magazine and then they're exposed to more poets and poetry so yeah, wow. I mean, there's a way that, like, if there were only 50 poets that were publishing poems, then you open up a magazine, it was like, oh, I read this one in this other magazine, or I saw this one on that other website, then that could be a yeah. problem, but that is not the space that yeah. we're living in. There are, I mean, we have 250,000 poets in our database, and, that, and we don't even cover everybody, you know, and, uh, t- I mean, you know, 20 Instagram poets probably out of the massive world that is, and yeah. haiku, it's not that many of the haiku poets, and... I mean, there's just so many poets and so much poetry out there that you're not going to be stepping on each other's toes either. So I just, there's mm-hmm. no logical basis for that limitation except for, I mean, in the past, you know, you wanted to be like, you have your poem in the Pushcart Prize Anthology or the Pulit or the, um, 
um, best American poetry and you want that like credit and you want the credit in the book. Mm -hmm. So somebody like looks at the book and says, oh, this one was in Rattle and that's like advertising for Rattle. That was one of the old motivations to keep it locked down. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the the age of the Internet, that doesn't matter either. I just um, anyway, I mean, I'm kind of ranting a little too much, but that was a a hot button topic for me. Um, well, anyway, it's been great talking to you about, about um, just the, the poetry publishing process. It's so interesting. Um, do you want to finish out with one last poem? Yeah. I'm going to do page 104. Okay. It's called Savor. Soak in the summer peach hours. Pursue all this living. These gifts of breath, these pages still turning. Search for rooftop hymns and staircase confessions. Make room for a traffic jam chorus, a grocery aisle waltz, a laundry pile trampoline park. Create this one wildlife into something your mouth will not forget, a space you did your best to fill. Oh, that was an excellent poem to end on. I love the the traffic jam chorus and a great message at the end. Perfect closing poem, Savor. Thanks so much (laughs) for being a guest, uh, Raquel. It's been wonderful talking to you. Um, A lot of fun, very informative too. I I feel a little bit like I used the show for my own education but um <laughs> i love that thank but, uh, you so but much other than that, I, I think everybody else <laughs> learned a lot too and uh, and got to experience uh, your great poems in the process so thanks so much for being a guest i appreciate it thank you for having me yeah. it was a pleasure yeah take care that was uh, raquel franco and uh, her book was when the bee stings which i have right here um, you can find more of raquel's work of course um on our website which is raquelfranco.co i want to double check to make sure i didn't um, just drop off the M. No, no, I didn't drop off the M. So it's right here, uh, RaquelFranco.co. Um, you can find her website there. Her Instagram account, which you should probably follow after today, I would say, right, is um, uh, Raquel Franco, and that's R A Q E or sorry, R A Q U E L F R A N C O. Raquel Franco. Poet is her uh, Instagram account right here. Um, and so, uh, check that out and check her recommendations as well. Um, and, and I don't know, get going on some Instagram poetry. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed that, um, as much as I did. Now we are going to take a quick break and go to the open lines. As always, the open lines work like this. Um, email your poem right now to open mic. That's open M I C at rattle.com. Open MIC at rattle.com. Email your poem, and that way I can show it as you read. You can do prompt poems based on last week's prompt, which is to write a a poem um, as an obituary for an inanimate object or concept, um, spinning off of Heather Altfeld's book. Um, You can do that, or you can um, send poems about current events or poems you've had published recently and are proud of. Whatever you would like to share, feel free to do so. I'm going to put the Zoom link in the comments right now on YouTube and Facebook. Do not uh, come here unless you want to share a poem. If you don't want to share a poem and just want to enjoy other people's poems, stay right where you are um, and, uh, and enjoy it. But if you'd like to share a poem, pause or at least mute your stream where you're watching this now and then jump over to this Zoom link right here. I'm going to pin them to the top. Um, you can just stay here, uh, you know, keep the, uh, the regular stream on mute or turn it off um, and just participate here. Then go back if you want later so you can see the poems as you go um and do let me remind you too that i have um (laughs) the waiting room has to be here so uh, once you come in you're going to have to um let me admit you which is unusual but it's some new security feature i guess that uh 
that Zoom is making me do. So um, I'll see you in just a minute. I'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Um, as I mentioned, the prompt for this week is right here. It was to write a... That's not right. This one is to write an obituary for an inanimate object or idea. That was the prompt for this week. And my poem is right here. Um, I was writing it about... Um, uh, so, so I am just getting injured like crazy. And on yesterday, I uh, tore a calf muscle, just charging like two steps on a routine ground ball from shortstop. Um, it popped. I could hear it pop. And it was, uh, yikes. And that is like the, I don't know. I mean, I have a, I sprained my knee. I, uh, strained my rotator cuff. I, uh, have a strained Achilles. I got plantar fasciitis. I strained the other calf as well, but this is a tear because I could hear it pop and I can't, I can't walk. So, I mean, I can walk, I can hobble. (laughs) <laughs> but it's uh, it's getting rough. And at this old age of 42, I just can't, you know, play sports like I used to. And uh, so I was going to write about this. And I got into this poem. And um, I don't know if, if it really, I think I might have taken a wrong turn. So I decided to take the first exit ramp I could and make it, a, it was going to be a sonnet. But instead, it is a half sonnet. So it's uh, seven lines. You'll see the format here. And here we go right now with this half sonnet. And this is... Obituary for the first half of my life if I'm lucky. Like love or bankruptcy, the end came slow than all at once. It was a flood, a flash flood with the power of a distant rain. The skies were clear in the creek bed. The ash from last year's fire still made the hair grass glow. The wall of water mud was just a stain on the horizon. And then it was a train. And that is how my physical body feels. <laughs> and, uh, Anyway, that is my half sonnet for today. Let's see what you have. And I want to go first. Um, let's go first to Zachary Honeycutt, who hasn't been on in a long time. I don't think he's ever been on Zoom. He used to call in over, uh, over the line. So why don't you unmute yourself, Zach, and then, and then we'll pop on in. Hello? Hey, Zach. Yeah, it's great to hear hey. you. Yeah, good to see good you for the see- first time. I know, clean shaven to beard, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you always had been the clean shaven look, or is this new? I've gone both ways. Uh-huh. I'm going clean shaven just for you guys tonight, but Excellent. sometimes I let it go. It just depends on how I feel. <laughs> so uh, what do you have that you'd like to share with us? Okay, well, I got an obituary poem. I actually didn't realize you guys were writing that, but I've got the perfect one that I wrote. It sounds like I'm talking about a dead woman, but there's actually a twist to it. It's got a twist ending, so it's very neat. And then I have a couple other short poems. I've got a COVID sonnet that I never read, and I also have a poem from the Rattle Poetry Competition, if there's time. Interesting. The old so, one. Well, um, let's see. I think we got to keep it to two. Because uh, okay. we got, I got nine, eight other people in line. So um, let's do whichever two you want. Which do you want to do? I want to do the Sicker Shade of Green, which is my obituary poem, and I'll do the uh, I'll do the COVID poem. Okay, perfect. Here we go. So this is a Sicker Shade of Green. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. I'll put it up. A Sicker Shade of Green. Oh, how I miss you! You're gone and dead. But the thoughts I have of you are still racing through my head, like an answering machine that spews out voices, some of trouble, some of friends. The longing love I have for you never seems to end. Sometimes you were rotten, your words were grotesque and vile, but every time we fought it only lasted for a while. 
The wonder of your presence, the warmth of your embrace, are now just fleeing memories gone without a trace. Oh, turtle, sweet turtle, I may be sick in the head, but I miss your emerald smile and I'm sad that you are dead. <laughs> that is a great, great ending there. And uh, yeah, yeah, very typical uh, uh, Zachary Honeycutt poem. Thanks for sharing that, Zach. And let's hear the other one. This is a COVID, a COVID-19 sonnet. This is my second very typical Zachary Honeycutt poem. <laughs> sonnet 11, COVID-19. That great city, no less in peak prestige and glory, its citizens inside excite, overrate, over them at rate as fast as they siege their fear. They that linger unseen by sight. These rogues, these villains, walk the streets in light. The city never slept like this before. A ghost town at day is a ghost town at night. Yet large ads still talk while the people snore. The billboards smile and model for no one except the pestilent horde. They left some bereft of the youth of old age. The son and daughter are bored. The parents are glum. And they who should have shed light on this time, let them hide in the dark and won't pay a dime. Excellent. Yeah, great to hear your uh, your formal poetry again, Zach. It's been too long. And uh, it's really cool to see your background there as uh, the Earth, somehow that's perfectly fitting from space. Um, yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. It was great to see you. Yeah, great to see you guys. I'll see you guys next week. Yeah, I hope so. Take care. Bye-bye. It was Zachary Honeycutt with a COVID-19 sonnet and uh, a sticker shade of green. Let's go to Karen Warinsky. Again, I'm not sure if Karen's uh, been on before or not live in person. Hey, Karen. Hey, Tim. It's been uh, a long time. Yeah, well, it's great to see well, you. Thanks so much for joining. Um, what do you have that yeah, you'd no. like to share? Um, I'm going to read the one that you didn't pick okay. for this week. <laughs> Broke my heart. But I really kind of like this poem. So it's um, I sent it to you. Do you have it there? Yeah, swimming in the Time of Kali Yuga? Yeah. Yeah, so perfect. Is there that. anything you want to uh, say to introduce it, though? Um, yeah, so I was reading about the Kentucky flooding, and mm -hmm. they were going to have some more flooding on the weekend, that very Friday. And um, recently, too, I've been listening to a guy on YouTube. His name is Krishna Das, and he plays meditative music. Apparently, he's been doing it for like 20 plus years. I just came across him mm -hmm. because I'm not a Hindu. But uh, I started like just checking out Hindu concepts. And the Kali Yuga was something I didn't know anything about. So it's um, they have the four cycles of time. Maybe you guys have heard of this and I never had. Um, and we're apparently in what they think possibly could be the last of one of these cycles, um, which is an age of conflict and sin. And of course, you know, we totally are, mm -hmm. are in that, but I think we've been in that before. <laughs> so um, it just kind of meshed together. And so I wrote this poem. Yeah, very good. Yeah, go ahead. Whenever you're ready, I have it up. Okay. So swimming in the time of Kali Yuga. Her fears still glide inside me, doing butterfly kicks and easy breaststrokes while I cannot swim. My fear of water runs deep, placed there by my mother's stories and doubts, a liquid fright running over every part of her life. It was windy and cool the morning we were instructed how to dive off the side of the public pool, and the young teacher kept her clothes on over her swimsuit, and I thought, she won't come in after me, she won't get her clothes wet, because I had been dipped in doubt 
prepared for disappointment, taught to expect the worst. I stopped taking lessons. Years later, my three children became lifeguards, strong, young lions who could dive, swim past the buoys, save others. An overcompensation for my driftwood life, which had taken me far from my past, from many worries, though I'm always watching for a flash flood, a time of unexpected inundation, a time when nature takes back what is hers. Yeah, so fast in the time of Caliuga. Thanks so much for sharing that, uh, Karen. And, uh, and and where are you calling from again? I can't remember. Um, Connecticut. And I, I could read a second one if you have yeah. time, but if you don't have time, that's for okay. Sure. Do you have? I know uh, you were saying you like something that's more positive. So yeah, definitely. Do you uh, have something and I can pull up, or uh, do you want to just read? No, it? I'm going to pitch my book. Excellent. <laughs> and it's called um, Sunrise Ruby. It just came out in June from oh. Human Error Publishing. Excellent. From where, where little, could we uh, where could we find it? Yeah, Human Error Publishing, and they're out of Massachusetts. And then right now you can get it on Barnes & Noble and also, um, you know, of course, Amazon, mm-hmm. the big kahuna. But um, And my daughter did the artwork for the cover. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I like that. I love the, uh, the central at the bottom. Yeah, thanks. So it's it's in three sections. It's um, got some political stuff in the middle section, but the end section is more nature and, and hope. And it's called Stone and Bone. It's not too long, so I'll read it real quick because I know you have a lot of people. Um, So Stone and Bone. Letting go, just being, I feel for the center, often find it. Neutrality moves me from the daily chaos, and I observe, dispassionate, calm, though sometimes I still yell at the TV, get pulled down into a dense fog. Connection obvious. We affect each other in cars, rooms, countries, cells touching cells on the earth, spinning in the galaxy, inside the universe, nestled in the heart of the creator. Yet the space between cells, between objects, between the particle and the wave is vast. And much exists there in the counter space, floating potential where new choices can be made, new outcomes manifest. And the stones and bones of our ancestors, unearthed by time and devoted archaeologists, remind us life will go on. What will you do to shape it? Yeah, excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that, Karen. Uh, and again, that was your new book. Congratulations. That's Sunrise Ruby. Uh, feel free to, to include the link um, in the uh, chat window so people on um, you know on YouTube can, can click to it. Um, yeah, well, if you, thank you. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Don't hesitate. Nobody ever hesitates to share a link if you want to share a poem or whatever. Uh, we are the more sharing, 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 the, the merrier. Uh, thanks so much, Karen. It's great to see you. So let's go to, um, let's go to Jennifer Elise Wang next. Hi. Hey, Jennifer. How you doing? I'm good. And uh, so, what is it that you have for us this week? Um, so I did the prompt poem since last week. I joked in the chat that I would write an obituary for the spam bot. And then, <laughs> then I, I decided to. to do it. <laughs> I came up with the idea. It went in a very interesting direction. So Very interesting. Yeah. So for people who are only watching on Facebook or listening last week, we did have a spam bot that I kept banning it, but it kept coming in on different, um, you know, what are you called? Servers or, or you know, whatever that's called. IP addresses. That's the word. 
So anyway, it was like, well, we'll find out more about it right here, won't we? <laughs> yeah, and it kept popping up like everywhere I was watching. Different oh, really? Too, so it's your so, fault. Is what yeah, you're saying. I think that, that was part of the inspiration. <laughs> yeah. So it's called uh, "In Memory of Love Chat X Y Z." Okay, go ahead. Your audacity was admirable. Appearing without invitation, though you'd argue open meant all are welcome, and could put in our two cents, or in your case, five comments in a row. All were welcome to engage with you, your emojis breaking language barriers, while simultaneously soliciting all sexual orientations and genders. Bot you might be, you had more humanity than some politicians. Those irreverent images might have interrupted actual conversation in the chat, but I almost prefer them to the silence that I fear would meet my readings. You made me feel seen and relevant and less alone in the vastness that is both cyberspace and reality. Like a reliable friend, you accompanied me to watch some surfing too. Although you remained off topic, at least you showed up. Now a part of me misses you, even though I was the one who dealt the deadly blow and clicked report. <laughs> That's great. That did go an interesting direction. Thanks for sharing that, Jennifer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, always a pleasure. Um, let's go to Carla Schwartz next. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, hey Carla, how you doing today? I'm okay. It's hot. Is it where where are you now? Are you still up in the Maine area or uh, uh, normally New Hampshire, but I was there this morning and then now I'm in Massachusetts today. Ah, uh, okay. And it is it was a hundred degrees. Yikes, that is hot for the northeast. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> okay. So for tonight I have I'll get two poems, but the first one I'll do the prompt poem, which I just is very short. And it's um, an obit for shame. It's called Shame's Obituary. Okay. Do I have that? Uh, yeah, I sent it to you. Around. Oh, okay. Two separate emails. I get you. Okay. Here's Shame's Obituary. Go ahead. Okay. It's about time you're dead and buried. You know, an eye for an eye. So many weep for you. Let me sweep them under whatever current of judgment you stir up. Too many have succumbed to the thought of you. Now, now you have two. Shame. Shame on you. Interesting. Shaming shame. Interesting poem. Thanks for sharing that one, Carla. And, okay. uh, and then let's hear another one. Okay. So, and that poem was kind of inspired by the fact that so many people, so many suicides, I think, come from people... Uh, yeah, just social shaming is a real, yeah. real problem. I think the rates are double what they used to be I mean, among teens anyway, which is just yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now this is a happier poem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just published in um, this magazine. I don't know if you can see it, but it's, uh, it's called Ibbotson Street. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 51. And uh, it's called To Make a Pie. First, just imagine the blueberries, a thousand blue pearls that slide into your cup as you play your fingers down the bush like harp strings. Oh, the, the slipping of berry to hand. Now imagine where those berries reside, on which deserted island. Will you swim the miles there or kayak? and how the wind might thwart or aid your journey. Now step into your boat 
and go. I made that pie, that blueberry pie, with wind. The wind I fought to overcome to reach the abandoned island with sweat that soaked my shirt that humid day with joy of stepping off the boat submerged to my pants, the wind I fought to glean. I made that pie with the willpower not to eat all the berries before climbing back into the boat to return home. I made the crust, its cookie crumble self, with oil of coconut and egg and ground almonds. I baked the crust cookie hard while I prepared the filling. How difficult can this pie be? Too few berries? Fill the rest of the crust with any fruit you can cull from your freezer. Peaches, rhubarb, add cinnamon, cornstarch, and a drop or two of lemon for sour. Then bake and taste the wind, the fruits of your labor. Yeah, excellent poem. Thanks so much for that. It was to make a pie. And I noticed uh, at the top that uh, PSNH, that's the, the show you did with uh, Jimmy Pappas last week. How did that go? Oh, yes. Um, it went great. I read this poem, and I and actually, one thing I did do, uh, I can just show you here, is... Um, yeah. uh, is um, Let's see. Oh, here, I'm in a different place. I'm sorry. Oh, that's was, all right. Um, but uh, I had a piece of pie <laughs> behind <laughs> me. I read this poem. And, um, and yeah, no, it, it was really good. And I will, uh, I don't have, unfortunately, it's not recorded, so I don't have a link to that. Mm -hmm. But I have um, a link to, uh, so I'll put some links in the in the chat. Very just, cool. Yeah, please do. That's the one thing. I understand why it does it, but I wish they were recorded because it's, you know, it's hard to make the certain time all of the time course. but uh but it's a wonderful show he does yeah so yeah. glad he could ha be on there yeah thank yeah. you yeah thank thanks you. carla always a pleasure night okay let's go to uh carolyn cod next and let me uh bef let me also admit the last poet okay hey carolyn hi how are you doing tonight okay i have a little tickle in my throat but... uh oh i hope you're feeling i hope you're okay i hope so too <laughs> Um, so what do you have that you'd like to share? Well, this is from the prompt obituary. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I didn't like, I didn't think I'd like that at first when I saw it. So I wasn't trying, I was trying not to think about it. But then all of a sudden I thought about the name of my first doll. Hmm. And I decided I just wrote this. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Uh, I thanks. think it's more like an elegy, I guess, more than an obituary. Yeah, well, go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay. It's called For Junie. You were my first doll, a special Christmas present when I was very little. Your head, arms, and legs were hard, made of a composite material, your body soft of cloth. But I didn't mind. You were my baby. You had a little cradle. I put you to bed there each night with a kiss. When I picked you up each morning, you opened your pretty eyes. When you and I both began to grow up, the adults around thought I should move on to other things. Finally, I wrapped you in a blanket and put you in a drawer, a kind of coffin. Irreplaceable, you were the first of my hard-to-let-go hard gloves. 
Rest in peace, Junie, wherever you may be. Oh, that's very sweet. Thanks so much for sharing that. For Junie, Carolyn Codd, thanks so much. And, you know, I think we all have uh, those memories, and my kids right now have the, um, you know, the, we had to go on vacation, and, and we had to bring the, uh, the right stuffies, they call them. So, um, yeah, wonderful memories. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Um, and for the people who came in uh, a little late, let me let you know that um, it's totally fine to um, um, share two poems if you'd like. So feel free to share two. Let's go to Dick Westheimer next. Hey, Tim. Hey, Dick. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm sorry to hear that you are uh, such a young man having vicissitudes. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just, I just play, I can't play like I did when I was 25, you know? You gotta, yeah. I gotta switch to the golf or something. Cause I, it's been I, a year, a year just, I've been injured and not been able to play sports more often than I've been able to play. <laughs> and then once I get healed again, two days in, they're just like migrating up and down my shins and legs and. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. But you run. How do you, do you get injuries like that? I mean. Uh, I won't say I, I don't, mm -hmm. but uh, running is not, is not a high impact sport. Yeah. I know it, it, it is mm -hmm. viewed that way, but it's like, yeah, it's like poetry. If you do it right, it, it doesn't land that hard. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a light touch, but, and yeah. I also, because I'm a klutz, mm -hmm. I never played sports. Oh. <laughs> And so I actually have all my joints were intact oh, when yeah. I started running when I was 60. Well, well baseball is just the worst because it's just because you don't do anything and then you it's like fast movement. It's like that quick twitch reaction. And it's just that first step, you know, or yeah. like leaping or diving or catching a running back in a pop up. And then you hit a gopher hole and I've broken my ankles and I've separated my shoulder <laughs> oh, and crashing into the outfielder as they're coming in because they didn't call it. Um, so if, if only poetry could heal bones. I know, know, that would be nice. Um, so I'm going to have to do something different with my life, though, at this age. Just like, you know, no, I'm going to have to switch to tennis or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that is the story of my week. And the next six weeks, as I, as I hobble around and try not to make it go from a grade two to grade three or whatever. Oh, uh, anyway, um, so what do you, uh, you want to share, though, Dick? Uh, I, I actually sent you a couple of poets respond poems this this week, and mm -hmm. if, uh, since there's time, I'll read both of them. I'll start with uh, marking time on a faster planet. Yeah, sure. We definitely have time for two. Let's let me just pull them up. Um, okay. Uh, the marking. I'll, I'll just contextualize mm -hmm. this. Uh, Jan June twenty ninth was the fastest day. The Earth spun the fastest of any day since they've been measuring with atomic mm -hmm. clocks back in the '60s. Yeah, something's happening. They're they're increasing every. Uh, it might have to do with the the poles shifting, the magnetic poles. Um, um, could, but you know, it, it's uh, days are much longer than mm -hmm. they were. You know, four or five hundred million years ago. So this this is this is forty or what? What's it been? Sixty years is just not a mm -hmm. interval you can actually oh yeah for sure but there's a trend in that the you know record breaking it's it's spinning faster and faster by well, yeah, by so fractions many. of a fraction of a fraction of a second but fractions still. of a second micro <laughs> microseconds i think it is which uh, -huh. uh or milliseconds milliseconds yeah 1.59 milliseconds faster right i have and the article up here i could have been showing it yeah yeah of course the 
headlines are breathless. You think you have less time than you had before? You're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so funny. I, I didn't go there. Mm -hmm. um, and I struggled with epigraphs. Um, and I, I, there was just no one better than the Heraclitus. No one ever steps in the same river twice, as cliche as it is. For sure. So, okay, marking, well, yeah. marking time on a faster planet. The planet spins tipsy like a half-drunk top, leans heavy on its axis as it careers through space. It holds fast as a child would to an indifferent mother star, which, too, is trying to find its way through unknowable places. We think the world comes round again to where it was and gives us another chance at getting it right, at forgiveness, at love. But no, we spiral attached to this earth as it and the sun do a passe double two-step twirl on the galactic dance floor. All of us are captive to the gravity of it all as we each whirl each day faster than the last. Time, it turns out, is not measured by chiming bells or the ticking of pocket watches or even an atom Isolate, oscillating in a giant clock. It is marked by us unceasingly leaving a place we can never get back to, us knowing there will not be another chance to be kind. Yeah, great ending in that one, marking time on a faster planet. And uh, what's the other one that you wanted to share? Uh, the other one uh, um, was Creative Destruction Deep in the Imperium. And I'm pretty obsessed with the James Webb images. Mm -hmm. The one that was released last week. Um, well, oh, gosh, what was it? I, I've forgotten already. Well, I have, uh, uh... Cartwheel, Cartwheel Galaxy, um, which was formed by the crashing of two galaxies into each other, pancake style. Wow, like on the same plane. Yeah. on the same plane and lined up perfectly. And um, it created this sort of Ferris wheel looking like a fair. And the image of it has has spokes, like it's a spoken hub. And there's just all sorts of amazing. Yeah, it is fascinating. yeah we're looking at it now uh, on, on YouTube yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, there's so much information that they're getting just from that that picture about star formation. But mm -hmm. anyway. I digress. This is a poem that's not exactly about that. Um, um, creative destruction deep in the Imperium. Who knows what shape a relationship takes when two cosmic lovers hunger for touch? Will one pass through the other like dark matter passes through the night? Or will they nova into a nuclear storm, send great pulses of radiation unbound into space? Or maybe they'll meet like contradancers spun together, their moment of motion synchronized, both partners laid back in a sweep and swing of arms and the gravity of hands holding on. Maybe they crash together as we did, like great surging liquid starlight whirlpooled as one, making great standing waves of heat and the fiery incandescence of birthing new life, the stuff of us burning out and in and out and into existence 
and finally becoming an unstable galaxy of living and pain and darkness and light. We almost novaed, neared a critical mass of high energy particles of ire, but spokes of our luminous friendships bound one hub to one unwinding wheel and a hundred million light years of healing of clogged up hearts and troubled minds set us to this slow roll, an ethereal cartwheel that will hold its tenuous shape until the end of our days. Yeah, great extended metaphor there, Dick. Thanks for sharing that. That was a creative destruction deep in the Empyrean. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Thanks, Tim. It's yep. always a pleasure. Yeah, it definitely is. Thanks, Dick. Bye. Bye. Oh, I think maybe Mike is done. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, unmute yourself there, Brent. Okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah, good to see you. How are you doing today? Oh, good to see you. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, really fun and informative and illuminating show. Yeah, that uh, was. It's a totally different way of approaching poetry than uh, the you know most contributors do. So it was really fun to talk about. Yeah, the whole uh, there's. Uh, I think it's a it's a little more nuanced than than all gatekeeping is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some gatekeeping can be. Uh, instrumental and helpful but in general it's not <laughs> yeah well i think uh magazines and stuff and publishers should be curators you know it's not like it's not like keeping yeah, things out yeah. it's like highlighting things that are worth reading and then you have you know establish a sort of a trust that what they're going to share is worth reading and it tastes line and things like that and uh, and that's how it should be thought of i think as a curation and, and as there's more and more content there's more and more need for curation like talking well, about the okay. way the yeah the way the algorithms took over. It's because there's so much content; it had to be curated, and um, and so the algorithms curated. But but editors, that's what we do too. Or, or, or sorted because that's what algorithms yeah. do. They mm-hmm. well, that's some of them is sort like put this in this category. But anyway, yeah, some of my uh, most influential and favorite teachers that I've had in life have been the ones that steered me toward the right material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I need to encounter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but a fascinating topic and a, and a, and a really stimulating poet too. Yeah, yeah, for oh, sure. And, and Dick's poem there about the the galaxies and everything. Mm-hmm. I wish that you had published it because I I think it's worthy of a Neil Postman. In, yeah, that was a, it's a great metaphor for sure. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, anyway. Um, I'm really glad for this prompt. I did the obituary mm-hmm. prompt uh, because it prompted me yeah. <laughs> to, to write about something that uh, I've talked and thought about writing about for a really long time, which is that I had a bundle of files of poems, uh, well over 600 poems that um, were lost in a computer Oh wow! That I did, and then I couldn't figure out how to retrieve them, and um, so it was. I just hadn't found a way to approach it, but doing an obit for that—that was perfect. perfect. Then you get some closure on it too. Maybe it'll heal your wounds because that is a tough loss. I, yeah, I mean, I just have was, one poem that I lost that I think about yeah. still, and I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is this is a step in that process for sure. Um, so it's called, and uh, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek the title, but I think that's appropriate. Um, 
obit for my collected works, 1990-2000. Where are you now, my hundreds of... How terrible of me to not even remember most of your faces. Every time I've jumped ship over the tumultuous years, I left hard copies bobbing in the wake, flotsam and jet. Sure, there were some launched in bottles or tied to Raven Lake. Still, I wouldn't have believed so many could be irretrievable. I'd carried your essences, radiant or otherwise, close to the heart hidden in various internal drives, then external ones, too, ushering you faithfully from body to body. After all, you were the unseen proof my life had been wasted. I remember some of your names, like the dress I bought for a dollar and ten cents, or seeing you from across the room, or exaltation. That was a wild. All new poems, over 600 of them, and the stories, too, those few poor lonely bastards I haven't completely forgotten. It helped me get through some time. I poured my complaints into your crucibles. Weeping and wailing, and I haunted your rooms. We had some laughs, too, mostly private jokes. But where really did you exist anyway? Not in the ink on the page, surely. Not in the brain, or I'd still have you. There was no cloud then to keep you safe. Now you're in the cloud of unknowing. Still, your far echoes green through the caverns of this limping heart, still learning how to grieve. Oh, that is just a heartbreaking poem. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 22 years of poems, man. Oh, that's rough. Uh, in some universe, maybe, though, in the hyperverse or whatever, they exist in... They're still yeah. there, so maybe you'll be reunited someday. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Uh, thanks, Brent. As always, did you want to share something else or, or just that one? No, that was the only one I've got prepared. So okay, I cool. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, thanks. Always a pleasure. Okay, thanks yep. again, Tim. Yep, bye. Bye-bye. And uh, let's go to Mark Grinier next. Oh, and i got to let more people in. So, oh, uh, Carlton Johnson is here. Well, uh, Hey, Mark, how you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, great to have you again. So what do you uh, want to share with us? Well, I, I've got a prompt poem. It's a little bit long and a little bit political, so I, I don't know if it's any good, but <laughs> it's there. Well, let's hear It's a premature obituary for American democracy, which uh, the title almost speaks for itself, I would say. Yeah, it should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we think too much of the ends of things, American democracy now, or of my fountain pen giving up the ghost. Red state votes cascading down like red ink bearing worlds in a world of words in a world of pain. Box jellyfish stings on tropical beaches, deadly knotfish floating along, swarming folks on crowded beaches. They force people off the edge where sand succumbs to the waves of change, ground by extremes into final finer forms, mud in the American grain, thin stuff. Not the big ideas that make us great, but whimpering, weak-kneed, fright-filled retrospects of supposedly better times, written in the sands of time with tentacles of poisonous flesh sunk in the ground, our Constitution, written to keep back black slavery around, 
sealed in the civic acts. It's the face of bigoted asses admired by fools in their wife beater shirts and MAGA hats, carrying around their M16s to shoot into crowds of people, praying, going to school, dancing with friends, or carrying signs of protest around against outrageous acts by cops or courts or right-wing mobs, believing the lies of political hacks divorced from divorced from election truth, ignoring facts, brainwashed by corporate flax and fake news hacks who fill the air with tweets of lies about immigrant threats and blue-linked policies promising change, putting fascists down as they flood our streets, shouting their hatred and repressive complaints that God-fearing whites are being replaced by blacks and browns, gays and women, those easily swayed, they suppose, by broadcast production of socialist news instead of by cues, conspiracies about pederast bed baby-killing Jews in godless blues. Meanwhile, they ignore congressional maggots, obsessed with sweet young flesh, girls passed hand-to-hand hand across state lines, growing up too soon, too soon as they stand, as they and their friends keep partying on, like Justice Brett boofing his bruise and lying to Congress about precedent's weight. He wants to decide every woman's fate, to make them bear the product of crimes of hate in a repressive state where rights once gained through years of strife, years of change, protected all. Red ink spilled over all these things has overwhelmed the blue ink pen to introduce change, progressive changes wise and humane that lifted so many from historical chains. They spattered this page with blood red stain, with a blood red stain that forces the fear of red state rabbles into the lives of most Americans, staining all with raging flames, wildfires gutting the homes we built through centuries of progress, painfully slow, but needed again as Trump's red maggots lie and steal and cheat and scheme. Very vivid. Thanks for sharing that. I think that about says it all, Mark. That's a diatribe. <laughs> a little bit, but very vivid one. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Mark. Do you have okay. another one you want to share? Or is that it? I've got another poem that I, I could read. I didn't send it in, though. So. Yeah, sure. It, we got time. Okay. This is called The Night She Left, and it's about my, my mother. The mom I had is gone now, dead at 90. She left distressed by dementia and the lack of grace that ended her life, the belief that she could no longer safely live at home. Or so the moms and dads she left behind declared. They took her away and left her alone, fragile with age, locked up in a caretaker place, safe, they thought, from the dangers she could no longer face. She liked control, as do we all. The ability to keep and hold, to live at home, managing lives as she had her children's lives in difficult times, protecting them from economic pain and warfare's ruin, from atomic hate and a world gone mad, from lack of faith in love and strength, in minds and bodies that end in death and dying alone in a hospital bed, unable to stand in the dark of night while losing speech, left near naked in that lonely space where I sat by and watched as the quiet hours passed on that final day, that night of loss. 
Yeah, excellent. Thanks again. That was Mark Grinier. And what was the title of that poem again, Mark? That was uh, The Night She Left. Uh, yeah, very touching poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you. And now um, Carlton Johnson's here, but can't we can't seem to connect. Um, so don't worry, Carlton. I will read your poem for you. I think I'm going to close the Zoom. Um, and we'll get to some extra poems um, this week. We have a here's a Carlton Johnson's poem. This is Dreams of My Dad or Father. So let's give a, give a read to this one. Dreams of My Dad or Father. Last night I saw my father in the blue seersucker sports coat he wore in the summer we sat and chatted about my terminal condition. As I stumbled for the name of my current physician, he looked stern yet loving, wanted to know about this life of mine. Was I happy? This afterlife is not what I imagined, he said. I spent most of my time in a hover over things I cannot touch or reach, and yet, in the quiet of early mornings, I can still touch you. I woke to the sound of rain peeling on the rooftop. As I washed off the last of the sleep from my eyes, I looked into the mirror, happy to see my father in my reflection. A oh, very touching poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was Carlton Johnson with Dreams of My Dad or Father. Thanks, Carlton. Let's see. And we have another poem from, um, this is from Cheryl um, Waitkovich, who I guess can't be here live, but has sent this poem in as the obituary, I believe. Yep, the open mic poem for obituary. This is Mystery. So let's see. I'll read this one too. Mystery. Mystery died singing on September 16th, 2009. It had been sleeping in. It was not yet light. The wind in the trees was confused by such lonesome stirrings, had startled old men, and picking fruit the day before, they had heard the last chorus of leaves. Mystery was carried to the grotto with ears strung across a ladder of optimism. Someone hung wind chimes for company, hopeful, through, though pillowcases covered each quiet dangling. The people left standing asked if mystery was all for nothing. They asked if singing was nothing at all. I love that ending. Yeah, hopeful that though pillowcases covered each quiet dangling. I love the each quiet dangling. Good ending and good poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's a first time share by Cheryl Waitkovich. So that is going to be it for today. Thanks everybody for joining me. It's been a really fun show as it always is. I really appreciate your company. Um, the Saiku. It's time for the Saiku. And the Saiku this week was based on this story right here, which is a little, it, it made it to, um, you know, mainstream news. So you might have seen the story already. Okay, there we go. Plesiosaur fossils found in the Sahara suggest they weren't just marine animals. The discovery of plesiosaur fossils in an ancient riverbed suggests some species traditionally thought to be sea creatures may have lived in fresh water. And so, yeah, so they found the bones, um, 100 million year old bones of a plesiosaur in this river system in uh, what is now Morocco Sahara Desert. And um, yeah, and so, um, you know, for fans of the uh, of the Loch Ness Monster, which I was as a, as a little kid, you know, um, this makes the Loch Ness Monster actually kind of plausible because at least there is a creature that's not a that's a freshwater plesiosaur. Um so uh, that is the, uh, the, the article for this week. And here is the Saiku. Something big slipping beneath the surface waves. Something big slipping beneath the surface waves. To try to channel my uh, 12-year-old unsolved mystery fan um, <laughs> um, sensibility there. Um, there is a cool theory about the Loch Ness Monster that I kind of like. 
that's um that they're actually freshwater eels that they have especially large freshwater eels i think it's the plot of a book i read maybe maybe a movie Maybe a documentary. I don't know. I read something or watched something. And the idea is that they realize that. All the people know that that's what they really are. Uh, but nobody wants to know because it's not good for, for tourism. So they kind of keep it a secret that they're really freshwater eels that occasionally surface. Um, I don't really believe that, but I think it's more plausible than a plesiosaur. What can you do? Anyway, that is the Saiku for this week. And that is the show for this week. Uh, so glad you could join me. Next week's guest in the Rattlecast is going to be uh, Katie Porter. Oh, wait, let me know. Before I say Katie Porter, let me show you what the prompt for next week is going to be. The prompt for next week is going to be, um, this is another one of Megan's prompts. Uh, we're going back to a Megan prompt this time. And this is right here. Um, right about a time you were a stranger in a strange land. That is the prompt for this week. Right about a time you were a stranger in a strange land. Um, and, uh, and now the guest for next week is going to be, like I said, Katie Porter. Um, Katie is a local, um, really, she does so much for poetry in the Inland Empire area of Southern California. She's the director of the Inlandia Institute, which is this wonderful group um, that does um, poetry uh, workshops all over the place, um, you know, libraries and things like that. They have, uh, you know, books they put out, they have an award, they, they publish, it's a press, they have a new office that's also a library now. Just a wonderful thing. Um, and she's also um, the editor of uh, Poemelian. Uh, the poem uh, poetry journal online has been for 15 years or so um, and her newest book just out is novel and it's interesting speaking um, about happy poems um, and, you know these poems are, are, are light and kind of fun unusually so um, it's going to be fun reading these poems from novel by katie porter that is next week rattlecast number 155 with the prompts you were right about a time you were a stranger in a strange land all that is going to be Monday, August 15th at the regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week. I'll see you for Critique of the Week, and uh, just take care in the meantime. Talk to you later. Goodbye.